Thank you. Good morning. Never quite sure, 9th of January. Is it too late to, have, to wish you a happy new year? Uh, happy new year. Uh, today we um, um, are in the second in our series of sermons, which um, the, the series is called um, how. No, it's, it's called. I need to read it here. How to live with other people, um, and in particularly in a church context. And this morning's the second one in the series is entitled "How to Keep It Real." And as a church, it's important that we are real with one another, and we'll learn why as we grow as a community. The idea for this sermon series comes from this book. It's called Everyone's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. It's by John Ortbuck. But in case you're wondering, the authority for what we say comes from this book, and it's the Bible. And if you read this book, which I recommend you do, you'll find it is very much grounded in the Bible. And last week, I believe the uh, title was, uh, of, of a sermon was, I'm going to have to put these on, um, was The Problem with Imperfect People. And Martin spoke about the fact that none of us are normal. We all like to think that we are, but the people around us are the problem. Or as my dad used to quote, I think it was Robert Owen that said, everybody in the world is strange except for the and me. And even these are a little strange. And we talked about hedgehogs and porcupines that have those sharp quills that when they feel uncomfortable or they're threatened, out come the quills as a form of protection. But us people in church need to be like the hedgehogs, where we need to learn how to get close to one another or we, like the hedgehog or the porcupine, will become extinct. And today and next week, we're going to start to learn how we might actually start to do that. And as we grow as a community, because that's our desire, that we grow as a community together. And you'll be pleased to hear that I have, rather than my usual three points, I only have two points this morning, so that's good news for you. But I am pleased to announce that they both start with the same letter, which somehow keeps me happy. And our first word is being authentic. And um, before we go much further, we might want to think, why do we need to be authentic? Well, if you've got your Bibles, and, um, or if you've got a phone, and if you've got a, a, a smartphone, recommend you put uh, the, the Bible app. Have you come, has anybody come across the Bible app on their smartphone? If not, go home and download it through wherever you download your apps from. And um, it's useful to have your Bible with us. Sometimes we just look at one passage and we can put it up on the screen and it's easy to follow. But some weeks we sort of dot around a bit in the Bible and um, that's one this week. And um, if you want to check what I'm saying or you want to check what the context of it is, it's good to have a Bible with you. If you want to grab one, there's some at the back right now. And this morning we're going to start by looking at Genesis chapters 1 to 3. We're going to start right at the beginning. And... Um, and if you want to go right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says God, and God created, and God is there. And if we just turn over one more verse to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, so we've now two verses into the Bible, we read that the Spirit is moving over the earth. The Holy Spirit is moving over the earth. A little bit later in the Bible, we read that in the beginning was the Word, which is referring to Jesus so at the very beginning of creation, before creation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were moving 
together in community. In community together. And then if we look a bit further in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created man. And, um, and a little while after that, and I think it's in perhaps Genesis 2, is it? We're up to now, turn over to the next chapter. We found that God decided it was not good for man to be alone. And he created woman to be together. You see, the fact of the matter is, we're not designed to be alone. We are not decided to do this Christian thing on our own. It's not God's plan for us. And then if we carry on, we turn over to Genesis chapter 3, we have what's known as the fall, where man disobeys God. He doesn't trust God enough, and he picks that forbidden fruit. And that perfect relationship that we've had, just to let you know, every day's a school day, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. By the end of chapter 2, things are perfect. Man is in communion with God, and man is in communion with man, with, with mankind. There's only the other 1,179 chapters where it goes wrong. But at, at chapter 2, the world is in its perfect place, as God designed it to be, us to be in community with him, and us to be in community with other. And then we have the fall, where um, God says don't um, eat that fruit, and I guess most of you know the story, um, they disobey God, they don't trust God, and, um, and, and man's relationship with God is dented, and we have our first marital argument of the world, where the, wife blame, the husband blames the wife, and the wife blames somebody else. The blame is it's not my fault. Things haven't changed, have they, since the beginning of creation. And then if you turn over another chapter and you get to Genesis chapter 3, you find that man... Uh, Adam and Eve hide from God. What a ridiculous concept. The, God has just created the whole of the, the, the world as we know, the physical world, and they decide they're going to hide from him because they are embarrassed. And a bit, a bit like Martin was saying about uh, the church, we want to let our light shine in the community. We find that everything to do with, in the Christian world, hiding is not good. Hiding is never a good thing. And if we are to be authentic, one of the things authentic means is that we don't hide. Either physically, sometimes I don't know if you do this, um, you just can't face church, or more to the people, you probably can't face the people in church, and then you physically hide, you stay at home, can't face them this morning, and some of us may do that. Or more, most of us, I guess, we probably metaphorically hide, and I'll come to that in a moment. But an authentic Christian is someone who practices letting go of who we are and who we're supposed to be and embraces who we are. Read that again. Someone who practices letting go in of who we are supposed to be and embraces who we are. We are real people. We come to church with our real problems. And us being authentic is a way for us to live in community with God and community with each other. I don't know if you've heard the story, but I love the story of the gorilla and the lion. Apologies if you've heard it before. But a man is desperate for a job. And he goes to the zoo and he says, um, any work you've got? And the zookeeper says, funny you should ask. He said, a bit of an odd request. He said, but the gorilla has just died and um, we can't afford to get a new one. 
So if you're willing to put on a gorilla outfit and swing around the gorilla cage, you've got the job. And the man thinks, well, a job is a job. It's not very authentic, but it is a job. So he gets into it. And after a couple of weeks, he really quite gets into it and he's swinging around and he becomes quite a prime attraction at the, uh, at the zoo. And, um, and one day, he's, he's swinging so much from vine to vine, he goes over his cage and he ends up in the lion's cage, which is next door. And there's this big African lion and, and who comes towards him and he feels the heat of the, of the breath of the, of the lion right next to him and he can't help it but he screams and the lion whispers to him shut up you idiot or we both get sacked <laughs> now it's a ridiculous story but it will be the one that you remember at the end of the morning and the point of the story is that if we all pretend so much to be who we are not we will end up in a ridiculous place and to some extent we all do hide we hide behind superficial conversation. We talk about the weather, or our work, or our holidays. If we're a bloke, you might talk about the football. We talk about COVID a lot, don't we? We don't really talk about ourselves. Well, maybe we hide, and I do this, we hide behind humour. It's just easier to sort of say something funny or tell a joke and move the conversation on. Or we hide behind our intelligence if we say something clever that nobody else will understand. Or we hide behind our pretend ignorance. We pretend not to understand what the person is talking about or asking. Or ironically, and this happens at church, we hide behind our spirituality. We say things like, God is in control. I have a deep peace over this. When actually what we mean is anything but. You see, God's design for us is to live in community. And we need to move, I suggest, slowly perhaps, to a place where we're happy to be more honest with one another. I think we all do it. Paul tells, Paul's writing um, a letter to the Corinthians, and in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's writing to the church, and he talks about Moses. Now, Moses is one of the great Old Testament leaders. And he talks about, and the verse says, basically, Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites seeing the end of what was passing away. Now, the background to that story is that um, Moses had been in the presence of God, and the radiance of God had meant his face had shined so much that the people around were dazzled by it. So he put a veil over his face. But the way I read that verse is that over time, that radiance was basically wearing off. But Moses kept the veil over his face, so people didn't see the real Moses. He wanted people to think he still had that radiance of God shining. You may read the verse um, a different way. But all of us like to have sometimes that veil over us, the thing that we can hide behind. But the fact of the matter is, actually, we are drawn to people. We like to speak to people who have removed that veil, who are open and honest about their lives, we understand what they really think, the people that hide less. And of course, the best example of somebody who didn't have a veil over their face is Jesus. We read in Scripture about the joy he showed, the sorrow he showed, the anger he showed, the fatigue he showed, and his disciples knew it. Indeed, at one point in Mark, we read, he tells his close friends, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. How is that 
have been real or authentic. And kids are good at it, aren't they? We can look at a kid, and we, they haven't got to say anything. We know whether, just look at their face. We know whether they're happy or sad or excited or scared. But most of us, and particularly me, I've got to say, I'm very good at hiding my emotions of what I think. I'd much rather keep it to myself, maybe talk about it at home. But if you're asking me how I am, I'm all right. So do we tell absolutely everybody about everything about us? No, I suggest not. Perhaps we need to wait till heaven to do that. You see, I like the model that Jesus had. There was Peter, James and John who were like the inner circle of the disciples, the disciples, the people he spent most time with. Then you had that sort of second layer of the 12 disciples. And then there's that slightly wider level of the crowd of believers. And Jesus disclosed different things to different groups. He would say things to Peter, James and John that he wouldn't say to the whole wider um, people around him. And I think that's a really good model for us. Maybe we have two or three Christian friends who we really trust and we can confide in. Maybe we, there's that slightly larger group within the church. Possibly if you go to a house group, that is, your, that is your, the equivalent of Jesus' 12. If you don't go to a house group, recommend you do. And then we have the wider church, perhaps. And if we are to be an authentic church, we need to have authentic people. So when newcomers walk through the door... They will come and meet people that live in the real world, are dealing with real-life issues rather than people that seem to have it all completely sorted. There were a couple of management thinkers, and um, bear with me, um, whose name were Joe and Harry, and they came up with a thing called Jahari's Window. Very thought, they just put their first names together. And it looks a bit like this. We can have that. Oh, that doesn't go... That's not quite right, is it? I think you got... Anyway you've got the whole thing coming up here. Bear with me as I explain how this works. So down the bottom line, you've got things that I know, things I don't know. Up the left-hand side, you've got things that you know and things you don't know. So bottom left-hand corner, we're talking about me now, things that I know about me and things that you know about me. You know that perhaps I'm married, I've got two kids, um, used to work for a bank, I play golf. If you don't know that, it's, it's out in the open and you could look on Facebook and you'd soon find out. It's, 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 it's open stuff that you know about me, I know about me. And if we go along the bottom, we, we find stuff that you know about me, but I don't know about myself. And it might be my annoying habits. Um, don't worry too much, because Angie has told me most of them. <laughs> Probably all of them, and there are plenty. Um, but until she tells me, I don't know that I never close the drawer. We won't go through them all. Um, um, <laughs> But, 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 but she knows it about me, but I don't know it about myself. Or it may be stuff like, I preach a sermon, and you find it helpful. Now, I don't know that you've found it helpful until you've told me. So there are things about, that you know about me that I don't know about myself. If we go around to the top right, there's things that I don't know about me, and you don't know about me. But God knows about me, and how many hairs I have in my head. You don't know, I don't know, but God knows. But up in that top left-hand corner, which is where we're, really, where we're trying to get to, it's things that I know about me, but you don't know about me. And um, Joe and Harry, when they put this together, um, they called it hidden, which is quite interesting because that was the word that we, we said, hiding is not good. And what we need to do, perhaps, as a church, 
is just push that line up a little bit. So the stuff that is open gets a little bit more. The stuff that is hidden gets a little bit less. See, if we are to grow as a church, we need to be real people who are able to have real conversations with other real people rather than just coming in, nodding our heads. Do we talk about what God has done for us this week? Do we talk about what we have struggled with this week? It's difficult, isn't it? And to some extent, we have to trust other people that if we tell them that actually I haven't read my Bible for six months, they're going to go, well, actually, neither have I, rather than that, oh, because we are worried about what they say, perhaps. But the good news is we're going to get on to the second word, and um, it's the other half of the fence, really, and the second word is that we need to be accepting. Now, I've always thought, as a church, on the whole, we are pretty good at this, um, and, um, but then I've worked out it's probably not me that should judge. It should be the newcomer. Um, but even if we are good at it, I don't know if anybody watched darts, the World Championship of Darts was on recently, a chap called Peter Wright won the World Championships. And I heard him on the radio, and, he, and he's, the world he's the best in the world. And I was talking to him, and I wasn't sure I was, um, I was listening to him on the radio, and apparently he practices for up to six to eight hours a day. And he's the, it's thousands of darts he throws every day. And he's the best at it. So before we go much further on this, if we think as a church we're quite good as being an accepting church, we just need to think about Peter Wright and we still need to stay absolutely brilliant. But what is being accepting? Well, I like the definition that it is being for somebody, which is different to tolerating people. It's different to letting people in. We may not have to approve of people's actions, but we long the very best for them. There's a story in the Bible in um, John chapter 8. It's um, um, the woman that's been caught in adultery and, um, and the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus and they bring this woman in front of him and say, she's been caught in adultery. The um, punishment for that is stoning. Um, what do you think we should do? And Jesus is in a difficult situation here because he says... Um, don't stone her, he's recommending breaking the law of the day. And if he says, do stone her, then um, it, it really the antithesis of what he's saying, that I've come to bring life and life in its fullness. And Jesus comes up with this brilliant answer, let, who, let him who's without stone, without stone, let, <laughs> possibly, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And we read that slowly, the people, starting with the older people, they started to drop their stones and they walked away. And Jesus is left with just the woman. And of course, Jesus is the only person that has the right to throw a stone because he is without sin. He has done nothing wrong. And what does he do? He forgives us. He forgives her. Now, historically, it's been suggested, and if you're a theologian, you can come and tell me afterwards whether this is right or not, but it's been suggested that there are two types of sin. There is sin of the flesh, which includes things like lust, greed, drunkenness, laziness, and of course all types of sexual sin. And then there's also sins of the spirit, which include pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, judgmentalism, I think that's not even a word, but judging others. And the second type, of course, doesn't provide nearly the gossip that the first type does. Churches don't exercise discipline 
over people that commit the second type of sins. Who has ever heard of a pastor being asked to leave a church because of their pride? But there are three parables in Luke that come to mind. The Pharisee and the woman who washed Jesus' feet, and she's called a sinful woman. The prodigal son and his brother. And the Pharisee and the tax collector who's going to pray. And in each of these parables, there is a person, the, woman, the sinful woman who washes his feet, the prodigal son, and the tax collector, who have committed, without any doubt at all, sins of the flesh. They've had a right old time. But Jesus doesn't tell the parable about them. What he's telling the parable about is the Pharisee, the prodigal son's brother, and the other Pharisee, who won't accept the person that's committed what they think is the greater sin. Jesus seems far more concerned about the spiritual sin, the pride, the arrogance, the judging others, than maybe he does around the original sin. So if we go back to our story, the woman, and the question is, are we truly accepting like Jesus did? To accept somebody, we want the best for them. We need to be like Jesus. We cannot fully accept someone and yet withhold forgiveness. There's the story, which I'm sure we've been told before, about the vicar who comes across a prostitute who's done terrible things and she feels absolutely awful and she doesn't know where to turn. And the vicar suggests he tries her local church. Oh no, she replies, I don't want to feel any worse. I hope that would never be said about us. Now, we don't have to accept people's actions. We don't have to agree with what they do. But truly accepting people requires a response of the heart. We need to want the best for them, and that may cost us in some way. And the danger is we hang on to our stones. A bit like those people that were going to stone the woman. They've picked up a stone. And the danger is, is that we just hang on to that stone. We find it difficult to actually drop it completely. Say We say we've accepted someone in, in their strange ways, but in earnest, we're just biding our time. So let's be people that actually are able to put down our stones, to truly accept people. So, as we finish, what about me? Is this a sermon where you agree with everything that's been said, but you're happy where you are, thanks, you'll come next week, you'll sit on the same seat, you'll speak to the same people, and you'll go away as you have this morning? Or is God challenging you in just some small way, on either side of the fence, because there are they, one's about being honest with others, and one's a bit about accepting what others say. Is God challenging you a bit? Maybe to be just that little bit more real in your relationships with both God and around those? Or do you still carry a stone in your hand about somebody or something that happens in church? You're not throwing it maybe just at this minute, but you really need to put it down, accept what it is, and move on. There's going to be a few questions for you to think about for a minute or so. How easy do you find it to be the real you with other people? 
What is one step you could take to reveal a little more of the truth about yourself in a close relationship? How easy do you find it to accept people who are not like you? What people or problems tend to bring out the stone thrower in you? <laughs>